0: Welcome to the Cotton Club Crew Recap, Sober Up Sunday Recap, though. We've pretty much moved it off of Sundays permanently, given that as the day of rest, as the Lord intended. I am your host, Make it. I'm joined by my good friend, Joe. We're going to be talking about the... I, I, I can't think of a bigger win for Joey McGuire on the road. I think this is the biggest win for Joey McGuire on the road. And it came at a critical junction of the season, heading to Lawrence, Kansas, and knocking off the top 25-rated Kansas Jayhawks. Moving to 500 on the year and putting you in prime position to get to the postseason with two games to play. We're going to have a preview show of the UCF game coming up this week, but this one is focused entirely on what we saw against the Jayhawks. What did we like? What did we not like? What are the lessons learned here that can be extended into the previous or excuse me into the future of this program? And where do things stand for the Red Raiders with two games to go? How are we feeling? How confident are we that? that they can get to bowl season let's get right into it Let's we'll start on I think we'll start on the offensive side of the ball you know I think that there's a lot of positive and negative to talk on the defense it's it's a mixed bag more so than perhaps we're used to but the offense is one that I want to talk about because it was an interesting game for the Red Raiders uh the the offense did not have a particularly great night Taj Brooks was ridden hard in this game Baron Morton made a couple of pretty mystifying decisions and overall just not a very explosive offense on the road so let's get into diagnosing what happened what did we like what did we not like let's start with the part of the ball that seemed to work the best especially early on when kansas was still struggling to figure out how to handle it let's talk about the ground game joe Taj brooks would would end up with 33 carries cameron valdez would add four more so 37 total carries from your backs that's a huge number. Uh, Let's talk about that to start. 33 carries for Taj Brooks. He's a fantastic back. He is the engine of this offense. But are you a bit concerned about the load management here and a bit surprised that this isn't being shared a bit more with Valdez?
1: I'm a little surprised that it hasn't been sh- shared more with Valdez. But, I mean, it's just as a lot of sports heads would go, you know, you play the hot hand, right? It's, you know, you don't you don't you don't fix what's not broken. You know, Tosh Brooks has just been playing unbelievably. And it doesn't seem like he's he's getting he's losing a step or anything towards the end of the game. It seems like he's the same at the start as he is at the end. So I mean for all that I know is he's good to go. I mean he was ridden pretty hard in that first half against Kansas and then it you know he kind of fell off not so much fell off but the play calling was more Around passing in the second half, I don't believe he had more than twelve carries in that second half, maybe thirteen. It didn't seem like he touched the ball at all in the second half in comparison to the first. But I don't really have any unless he starts show starts showing signs of wear and tear, like he's gets up gimpy and he's still back in there or if he's slow to get up for whatever reason, you know, just because of how demanding the running back position is then I'll have some concerns if they're like forcing him to go back in there whenever it's not necessary. But other than that, right now, as I see fit, man, I think he went in and talked to McGuire and Kidley said, Hey, I'm here. Let me work. And he's pretty much carried this team or this offense on his back for a majority of the season. And he doesn't seem like that train slowing. So he's got two more games here one against Central Florida the one against that Texas and I don't I don't see him getting less than 25 carries in each one of those games um moving forward
0: personally I've thought that Taj has looked tired at times but where I'm most I guess perplexed a bit is Cameron Valdez is not the same caliber of back yet. Uh, he, I think he's probably got more top-end speed than Taj, and I think that leads to more breakaway potential. But he lacks the vision, and he clearly lacks some of the, the pass protection ability that Brooks has. But I think that the, the sheer overwhelming demand behind the running back position leads me to believe that it is a bit surprising that we can't find some role for a change of pace back. You know, the, the, this this Texas Tech running game the past few years has been at its best with Brooks and Thompson sharing the rock. Um, and the games where they did not play, I think the running game struggled the most, where the games were one back, did not really see the field. And look, I understand that there's things Valdez can't do right now. I mentioned it. He does not pass protect well. Um, he doesn't have the vision, And with our offensive line, that can hurt you. But I... Taj Brooks is out there, I mean, for 75, 80% of all snaps, and that's not sustainable for anyone, let alone a running back, because he's playing almost every pass protection snap. I think there was maybe one series we didn't see him. Where they finally gave him a break, and that's where you saw a couple of those carries for Valdez. And I, I mean, look, like you're gonna have to do what you're gonna have to do to win games, but there has to be a way to get Valdez or somebody else more involved in the ground game, so that Taj can rest around 20-25 carries, and he doesn't have to he doesn't have to play every single snap that is pass or run. You've got to find somebody else back there that can block and run the ball. And you or you've got to get Valdez capable of doing it or alternatively, except that he can't do it. And when Valdez has to take a pass protection snap, roll Morton out or, or keep the throws pretty quick or or have him immediately release after a chip. You know, he, he is he is what he is, I think, in this season. But you've got to find a way to work him more into your into your game plan, if for no other reason than for development. Like Taj is gone this year. You know, like we we don't have another back outside of Taj Brooks, who I feel comfortable can carry the rock right now. And they're not trying to develop one. And you want to win now. I understand that 100 percent. I think you mentioned it well. Twenty five carries is what Brooks has to get. But we're eight over that in this game. And honestly, I, I think that he probably played outside of snaps where he actually carried the ball damn near every minute of the first half. And that's just not sustainable, and it's not going to keep him fresh. I think that your best bet is to find a way to get Valdez integrated more into this offense, which will allow Brooks to thrive. Because I thought there were times late in the second half, the wear and tear was there. I thought he missed holes he ordinarily would never miss because he didn't have that little giddy-up to get to the outside or or make that extra cut. And that is what makes him such a phenomenal back. So I think if you can find a way to just take 15% of the total snaps off his plate you know, I think you're a better off for it. Cause that's the thing, right? Like we've seen it the last couple of weeks. This offense has to lean on Taj. There, there is no identity otherwise, and you will lean on him, but you can do more what Texas did with Bijan, which is okay. He's going to carry the ball 20, 25 times, but he doesn't have to be out there. Literally every single snap, we can go to RB two and rock and roll. And yes, Valdez is no uh, Johnson that Texas had in that spot, but you can teach, coach him up to do some of these jobs that I think will help Brooks. And long term, you'll be better for it. Brooks will be better for his career not taking these kind of reps. I want him to run the ball 20-25 times a game. I want Cameron Valdez to run the ball seven to ten times a game. I think total 35 ground attack uh, attempts is what you have to do to win. And I think that you know we can even up this distribution just a little bit more, and the team will be better off for it. We'll see though. I mean, look, like we all been calling for Taj Brooks to get more touches. They're gonna continue to give him the monster a monster's share of touches. I just think that there are ways to help keep him a bit fresher. Late in games, when you need to salt it away, there is nothing better than a a, a big bruising back who is capable of really getting after it. And in a cold day in Lawrence, a misty day in Lawrence in particular the weather the wind was swirling and it just kind of grossed out it would have been better i think to give taj more chances to rest and and find a way to get somebody else integrated into that backfield um because and here's the real alarming part baron morton i'm gonna get your take on this in a second joe but i didn't think baron morton played well at all i thought he made a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes i thought that you know he was Some of the best moments of this game were more receivers making plays than they were Morton delivering good balls. The Jaron Bradley catches, both were phenomenal routes. Um, He forced that ball into the corner of the end zone that ended up in an interception at a moment where he really, really, really didn't need to do it. On that drive, Texas Tech was moving the ball steadily on the ground and really uh, short and intermediate throws would have gotten it done instead of pushing that ball deep. I I, I thought he took at least four or five sacks in this game uh the sack total was they they credited three but he had probably two and a couple more hurries where i think he screwed it up just holding the ball too long and i i i've never really seen him do that before at least not this season joe what did you think of the play from the quarterback were you alarmed by what you saw considering how flat this offense was
1: it's been a roller coaster season for our quarterback position and that's even with shuck with Strong with Morton, whoever we've trotted out back there. I mean, it just hasn't been consistent across the board. Um, those are typically plays you don't think Barron would make or somebody who's that that throw into triple coverage there, there on the goal line. That that seems like a strong kind of move there, you know, trying to make a play, trying to get it to a guy, not seeing the other guys there, just you know, just trying to forcefully put it there. And to see Baron do that, it wasn't great, and that one that one hurt us a little bit because I mean we were driving, we had been rushing the ball well, we were moving like we didn't have any issues at driving. That's just backbreaking, you know. We had them on their heels. I don't remember the score at that point in time. It may have been ten to zero at that point in time. Whenever that happened, and we were going in for another score, which you know at worst puts us at thirteen. Or we could go up 17 to zero at that point in time as well. So that one was backbreaking. But I mean, nothing, nothing jumping out of the page except for that very last drive to the, the game winning drive. But, you know, that's just a defense playing super, super soft. You know, there's nothing super special about what Barron had to do other than just get the ball to the wide open receiver. But it was, it's, it's concerning. That you still have that kind of quarterback play. Now, I don't know if that was weather related. I don't know if he's still lingering injury from that shoulder. I don't know exactly what it is, but I mean, something's not right in his progression. He gets happy feedback there. He doesn't, he stares down certain receivers. The play calling necessarily doesn't help him at times. And it's, it's rough to see. I, I believe, and I know. That he's a better quarterback than what we saw it's just a lot of different things that have gone into the mistakes obviously kitley's not the fault for him throwing it into triple coverage but there has been some you know some suspect play calling there all year not just in this game particularly but it's just one of those things i think baron's a better quarterback than what he's shown and what we what we know he's capable of doing so it it's a telling sign obviously we have two more games here we need one more game to become bowl eligible and we need those those simple mistakes corrected because i don't know if you saw what you what central florida did to oklahoma state but if we don't take them seriously and we start making some of those plays and giving the ball up you know that game could be a central Florida win on Saturday. So they need to be corrected soon.
0: Speaking of the play calling, I thought it was interesting. The most unusual part of the offense to date this year is kitley's reluctance to throw anything towards the middle of the field we have called sideline play after sideline play screen after screen and nothing has worked consistently well to the boundary but i think you saw a couple of times especially later on this game when you're trying to keep Kansas at bay, that last sequence in particular you saw where the openings in the in, in the defense because Texas Tech spreads teams so wide, it's on slants. Now, I will. I got to make a note here. Uh, Coy Eakin has a fantastic future ahead of him. He's playing great football, but he has one of the most frustrating habits that a freshman, they always have it. And it's something that gets taught out of him because he's got the hands. He's got the hands. He's got the route running. He's got the body to be the next great thing, either uh, somebody who can play either in the slot or outside I think he's got range for both but one of the things he does that drives everyone up a wall is he has a really bad habit of falling back away from a first down to try to turn back upfield, and it burns you several times in this game so it's, uh, some of the what happened um on those slants I think is the result of just Eakin's got a lot to learn when it comes to just get upfield, stick up field you're not always going to get that extra five get the one yard you need um so he's got a lot to learn there but you saw that those routes are successful you saw that this team can effectively attack the middle of the field and i thought that the, the constant calls to the boundary with those screens that we can't block i mean we can't block them we've been doing this long enough to say definitively this receiving group cannot and i mean this 100 percent. they cannot block on the perimeter they can't do it they don't know how they're not big enough they're not strong enough this ain't Antoine Wesley out there, right? Like, that dude could block, like, nobody's business on the perimeter. Had great feet, great hands, great body for it. But these guys don't. They can't do it. And every time we try to throw those screens, I think we're, like, one for nine a game on those screens actually being successful. So it we've, we've got to abandon some of this stuff and help Morton out. The easy stuff is in the middle of the field. We're so spread out. You've got Miles Price, Xavier White, Koyeek, and these are guys who love and work run in slants, run into the middle of the field. That's not counting your tight ends who still can't really get involved in the game. Now, granted, I think Mason Tharp's health has really pretty much killed most of your you know, tight end game. That's who they really wanted to get going this year. But you're telling me between Baylor Cup and Henry Teeter, we can't get anybody the ball in the middle of the field as a tight end? None of those guys, Jaden York, none of them none of them are capable of catching a ball streaking down the middle of the field like everybody else's tight end does. So while I thought Morton had a bad game, I do want to highlight that you are still not calling a game that's to the best of his abilities. However, it's not fair to throw this all at the feet of the O.C. Morton did just not play well. You mentioned it well. He he stared down receivers. He forced the ball into bad spots. He didn't look comfortable in the pocket. He held the ball too long. He has a bad habit of not taking what's there. Um, there were plenty of times I thought he could. If he's going to hold the ball that long, he should scramble. I don't know why he won't. Maybe the injury's shaking him up a bit. Whatever the case may be, this was his worst performance in a while as a Texas Tech quarterback. It just overall, I would say the best word is uncomfortable is how he played. And the offense looked uncomfortable. And in his best moment, that final drive where I think he finally got out of his own head and just threw the ball, that's when you saw the offense at its absolute best. When they could just tee up against a prevent defense and not worry about it because the only thought in his head is, we're either going to kick a field goal here or we're going overtime. And I think that's that mentality has to show up next week. Because yeah, Look, I don't know what the hell happened for Oklahoma State against Central Florida. UCF's a very not good football team. I mean, like a really not good football team. But you can't sleepwalk against anybody in the Big 12 expect to win. We did that in the first half against Houston. They jumped all over you. You got to stay awake. You got to stay alert. And you have to play smart, fundamental football. And if you do that, you can cruise past UCF. But if you do some of what you did against Kansas, where you just looked Uncomfortable offensively, and you just pray that Taj Brooks is going to carry you to victory. You know, he's a great back, but a little bit of help goes a long way because Kansas realized we're not interested in throwing to the middle of the field. Kansas figured it out and they put everybody, they lined up in press coverage on the boundaries and they put everybody in the box and they said Tosh Brooks ain't going to beat us. And that's what everyone's going to do. If Baron Morton is not helped by his coordinator, if he does not make the right decisions, if he isn't willing to take the easy stuff, if he isn't willing to throw the ball away when he's in trouble, we're going to have some issues. So, the, I mean, this offense is – every time I think we figured out this offense, we do something the next week that makes me think we forgot how to play football week to week. It looked like we had an identity against TCU. It looked like we had found a little bit of a spark offensively against TCU. And then, like, the next week, we look completely incapable of having any sort of passing attack. It's like, I I don't know, man. I don't know if it's the shoulder. I don't know if it's kitley. I don't know if it's the game planning, the self-scouting. Something's broken in this offense. And so, every week, it feels like we got to reinvent the wheel. And you don't. You don't got to reinvent the wheel. Just play smart. Help your quarterback out. Now, we're going to switch to the defensive side of the ball because this is an interesting thing to look at. Kansas moved the ball really, really well and did not score pretty much at all. I mean, like 13 points, and I, I think they had two 90-yard drives that were stopped. So, like, they put up a bunch of yards on you without really having the kind of production you'd expect for the, the total yardage, the kind of drives they had. Uh, Bean getting hurt did not help them at all, though I will say Tech was handling Bean very well. So I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, you lose a Bean plays. He looked uncomfortable against Tech. It, they, it, I mean, he really did. And I got to give credit to Ballard. He played his ass off. He took some licks. His receivers didn't help him. His offensive line didn't help him. Nobody helped that kid. He just stood in there and played ball. But there were moments, Joe, for this defense where I was pretty frustrated. Uh, Secondary leaving guys wide open. The long touchdown run of 60 yards, that really hurt. Though I will say, otherwise, you did a really good job against the ground game. Uh, Nobody really got it going on the ground except for that one long run. But the passing game. You only gave up 124 yards, but it felt like every completion was at like the worst possible moment. What did you see from the defense overall? How are you feeling?
1: Um, overall, I'm feeling okay about it. The The whole bend don't break saying was said a lot. You know, we were giving up those 90-yard drives, and then they ended up stalling there in the red zone. And, you know, that's what you want to do. You need to get those stops. But – as far as containment you know bean was one of those guys pre-injury and coming into this game was a guy who didn't necessarily use his feet a whole lot but you know as what we've seen you know with mobile quarterbacks we just have trouble getting those guys down to the ground and for us to contain them pre-injury um was good and you know staying staying disciplined in our lanes being where we needed to be gang tackling, it was all like coming full circle for our defense there for a while, you know, and well, hell just the first half alone. They didn't put any points on the board. We held them to zero. We were stopping the run that one undisciplined um, play there when Neil got, got loose on that 60 yard touchdown run. Then, you know, some of the penalties on the back end in our, in our um, secondary, but overall, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't great, but that's that's the whole mantra of Ben don't break." I mean, you don't have to be perfect; you just have to be good and better than them in the red zone, and that's what we did. Um, we actually got some sacks. Granted, it wasn't on Bean. We um, Rabbit had that other interception. Great, you know these things are are good for moving forward um, in this in this race to um, become bowl eligible. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't great at times. But the first half, that's probably about the best half of defensive football that you've played in the first half. You know, I know that we made those those adjustments against Houston after the first half, and we came and shut them down in the second half. But as far as starting the game goes for a defense, that was probably just about as solid as the showing as we've shown all year. Um Had a Bradford, Hutching, all those guys were involved. Jacob Rodriguez is starting to to feel a little bit more comfortable. Ben Roberts, you know, doing Ben Roberts things. I believe Tyler Owens was hurt in this game later in the game, so I'm sure we're going to see a whole lot more Brennan Jordan um, against Central Florida, things to that nature. Steve Linton didn't play again. Um, McGuire said in his presser this afternoon that Linton should be a full go um, on Saturday. So that's just going to help our guys, give another guy in there, a D you know, all of those guys were making plays, you know, and these are all young guys. These are guys that are going to be for the future. And if they're making plays now, then it's just going to bode well for us in the future. But as, as the game, as just speaking as in the game right now, um, it was, it was a good, good day for the defense. Ben don't break, did what they needed to do, got the stops when they needed to. And and sealed us that win there because, you know, you don't hold them to field goals in those times they're in the red zone. we're talking about a loss here and wondering where these last two wins are going to come from and if they're even possible at this point in time. So overall, if I was like a grade, it'd be like a C. Not great, but did did just enough.
0: Bend but don't break, I think, is... You know, something Tim DeRutter has been wanting more from the defense. You've been so bad in the red zone. I thought the stat was like 118th in the country in red zone efficiency as a defense. Just And this this was something that I liked about Keith Patterson's defense under the Wells areas. You did a good job keeping people out of the end zone. It was hard to drive the length of the field and score on those defenses once they got there. That was probably the only thing they did particularly well was they were they were capable of getting some big red zone stops. And you just haven't really done that this year. Um but the alternative to Bend up and don't break is just be good consistently. And I know that's where we want to get to but I mean, you kind of got to take what you got to eat, what you can get right now. You are banged up. Losing Tyler Owens is a big deal. Um, we saw a lot of lucks in this game. That kid's a ball player, but you you saw some of what he can do, some of what he can't do. He's got good instincts, but he lacks some of the higher level coverage and athleticism necessary to really thrive against some of the better receiving groups. Um and I thought that overall, the defense looked a bit out of sort on the back end still. You're still adjusting. Losing Tyler Owens, who was just promoted to your field general, is going to hurt you in coverage a lot. And that showed because you don't have another guy who can step into that role right now. I think Lux was who they replaced Owens with. Um, he got a lot of minutes in this game. But he just it's just not like the, the switch between Owens and Baskerville was made specifically because of Tyler Owens' athleticism coming off the edge and trying to kind of plug a hole there with a guy who's played the position, got a lot of experience as starter, but you were never really planning to be the captain of your defense. It's just top. So you saw some of the miscommunications, but yeah, I mean, Look, being able to hold up in the red zone is important, and we haven't done it this year. So maybe this sparks something in this defense to show them that when your back's against the wall, the best thing you can do is just make the best of a bad situation. Yeah, Kansas probably should have taken the points once or twice out of those attempts. But the fact that they didn't shows that there is opportunity to be had um, from from aggression and just being sound and not making it easy. And, you know, yeah, KU had some moments where I felt like Tech really let him, let him kind of the long run was one in which you just needed somebody to make a play a couple of the throws where you let a backup quarterback, third string quarterback have wide open guys, but more or less, I thought they made it largely uncomfortable for Kansas most of the night. And uh, you got some help from bad quarterback playing some bad receiving moments, but you take what you can get with this defensive unit. That's as banged up as it is. It's still developing there. They're, I, I think I've said this before. They're like right on that precipice between like being competent and being legitimately good. And like, we're we're so close to taking that next step forward. You just have to put all the pieces together. You have to be good in the red zone and good between the the, the red zones. You have to be you have to be capable of of bringing getting pressure home, and you have to be capable of protecting for the two, three seconds are necessary to get any blitz home on any given snap or let any pass rush develop. You know, you still struggle in pass rush. You still struggle in coverage. You still struggle in these moments and you're just, you're on the the verge of something great. You just aren't there yet, which is something overall the defense I think has let, has made it clear. The, uh, they, uh, they just, they just, the it's the defensive almost, and it's frustrating. But this is the best defensive unit we've had in Lubbock in a very long time, and it's the best series as in years of defensive play we've had in Lubbock in years. So The fact that we're building towards something is exciting. We're just not there yet, and you're probably not going to get there this year. But there's little things you can do. Uh, dumb penalties you can eliminate. Um, you can eliminate some of the, the 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 bad habit of of getting home, being in the right space, and not making the play. You know, there was that long run. I don't remember. I think it was Lux. It was either Lux or maybe uh, one of the linebackers had a shot at Neal and missed it. Right. And then there were plenty of opportunities where you had Ballard. And if you're just a step quicker, if you're just a step more reactive to the snap, you'd actually gotten him on the ground instead of just hitting him when he's throwing. And there's that stuff. It's just the little the little things you can still make corrections on this year to help keep scooting you closer to your goal, which is getting to being from just like kind of a middle tier defense. that's just competent to being one that is a legitimate defensive presence in the Big 12. And it's exciting that you're close, but you're not there yet we saw against KU that they've got a lot, they can, they can continue to improve on different areas, but there's still a long way to go. And I think we probably have another year of waiting to see like a good defense in Lubbock. But I'm happy that the defense we've got, all things considered, you can play bend, don't break football and win football games. You can only gave up 13 points. Yeah, there were, it wasn't pretty. Yeah, this was kind of an odd game overall, but you did it on the road against a good football team. So this was maybe not the best the defense has played. I don't think, anybody would say that, but for the amount of time they were on the field during some of these drives to not surrender many points, I, I'm i proud of them. I'm proud of the effort they're showing. I'm proud of their development. We're just, we're, we're, we're building to something in Lubbock defensively. We're just not quite there yet. Now, Joe, I'm going to close this out in our show with one final topic, which is let's talk about, we're, we're two games away from ball eligibility. We're going to have a preview of UCF, what actually has to be done to win that game. But let's talk about how we feel about this point of the year. You didn't reach any of your lofty goals. You didn't get to the promised land of Big 12 championship play and national relevancy, yada, yada, yada. But let's just talk about pretty simply. Are you feeling like this team's going to get it done to get to bowl season? And what would it mean for this program to actually get the job done?
1: Yes, I believe this team is going to make it to the bowl season. I believe that's going to happen on Saturday when we defeat Central Florida. Now, given all the expectations in the offseason, in the summer, heading into this year, a lot of lofty, you know, expectations, a dark horse for the Big 12, a dark horse for a New Year's Bowl game, you know, one of it was just a lot of. High expectations. Obviously, those we fell flat on our face when it comes when it came to that. But this is salvageable, you know. Think about it. I mean, if you you win against Central Florida, lose to Texas, win your bowl game. I mean, that's still a seven win football season, just one less than last year. And given how bad it was this year, I mean, you take that. I mean, it's it it could have been worse, you know so i expectation wise i think you salvage this season or at least go with a little bit more optimism going into next year other than you know the fact that nobody's going to be drinking any kind of hype anymore based off of what happened this year but i'd a glimmer of hope you know this is all the things that are going to happen in the next couple of months just you know just a rundown we have two more football games left just have to win one to become bowl eligible. Then we become bowl eligible. Then we get one more game. Then in December, we have all of these recruits coming in, including Will Hammond and Micah Hudson that are going to be signing in December and then early enrollees next year. These are all these different things that you you build off of. You know, you win a bowl game, and then boom. In a couple of weeks, you have the absolute highest recruit that this university has ever seen on your football field, in pads, in practice, with the team, along with a future quarterback in Will Hammond and and a stable of this recruiting class on campus. I think it's up to six or seven players right now that are confirmed early enrollees for next year, and some of them are just dogs. I mean, these are guys you build that program around. So, I mean, these are all things to look forward to. This is the first step, obviously, is becoming bowl eligible. I think you could do, as long as you keep it sound, and we'll talk about this later on in the week when we're doing our preview for the game, but you keep everything on senior night for Bradford, for all those guys, Hutchings, and all those guys that have been here through the the shit. This is a game that they want to go out on top. And I think everything's going to be left out on the field there. We're going to get that W, um, you know, sigh of relief that we made it into the bowl season, go into Austin the following week with a little bit more, just not so much at pressure on us to having to get a win out there to become bowl eligible. And then you go and play whatever bowl game and then you move on to next year. But I think all the, all the chips are there. You just have to keep knocking them down. When we started this a little bit over two weeks ago, it was a four-game stretch. That's all we had left. Three of the four, where were you going to get them? Boom, you get one and two. The very first two takes a whole lot of weight off of your back. And now let's just go and play some some football. I think this team has all the makings to make, to make the bowl season, like I've previously said, and take all this extra momentum heading into the offseason for sure.
0: Momentum is probably the best way to put it. It means something to be a program that can expect to be in the bowl season every year. You know, like, I'd love to tell you that Texas Tech should be competing for national titles or for New Year's Six Bowls. And I think you can get there in the future. But the reality is this program has no history of doing that. You've had a couple of great seasons and it's history. I mean, like we're, we're talking like in one handful of great football seasons. There's been good football played in West Texas. Mike Leach built a consistent program. But other than really one or two years, you were never super relevant to the national picture and that that is just the reality we're facing. It's not that you can't win the conference. You've got a couple of conference wins, but it it it's just like you don't have you don't have blue blood. You're not Oklahoma, right? Like you 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 don't have blue blood status. So what do you do when you're trying to get to the Oklahoma levels, the blue blood status to the power players in this in this conference and in this and the the larger college football landscape? You have to first get out of the fucking basement, right? And we've been in the basement since Leach left. You know, we went from a good, respectable program that consistently made good bowl games, was consistently a troublemaker in the conference, and was eyeing that next step to getting to the national championship picture, to a program that is just an afterthought. And to get back to that point, to what is the the true heyday of Texas Tech football, to get back to the point where, okay, we've set the baseline at we're going to make bowl games without thinking about it, now we start working towards eight wins, 10, 12 you got to get there first. It, it all comes in steps. And I thought this year you would take the next step and you didn't. And that's unfortunate, but it means something to get that step under your feet um, because we haven't been there in a while. And I, I don't think I'm, I'm shocking tech fans. You know, my dad is a, a tech rad was there during the, some of the worst periods in tech football. And there's those of you who are older who experienced some of the troop, the, some of the better success during the Dykes era. And I think that all I can say, it's, like it's not a shocker to anyone, young or old. Texas Tech has not been relevant in college football more often than not. And the fact that we our best relevant eras are now 15 years behind us, 10, 15 years behind us, means you have got to start somewhere before we can really be relevant to college football again. And Joey McGuire, I think, is trying to build you to that point. You mentioned some great names there, Will Hammond, Micah Hudson, these guys that are coming in in December and enrolling early. Those are the future building blocks that you can get just off of, you know, you're in that door to busting through the door. And uh, it it it's it takes time. And that's the unfortunate part is we were told this offseason we were there and everybody got excited. I, I'm not blaming anybody. I was all on the bandwagon. I looked at this thought up and down. If you can just stay healthy, this is a great football, football team. And unfortunately, the wheels came off the wagon. But I think that they will get to bowl eligible against UCF and then take your best shot at Texas and leave it all on the field and see what end happens. I mean, I'm not going to make any predictions about the Texas game. That's going to be, I think, a pretty wild final game in Austin. But you just get bowl-eligibly done before then, 4 o'clock. It's a weird kickoff time against UCF. Get it done for the seniors. Get it done for this program that is just trying to get to the point where it can say comfortably every year we're going bowling. And, and, and we can tell recruits, hey, we may not be great every single year. Very few programs are great every single year. But you're going to be in the postseason hell or high water, and we're going to be working from that baseline to the next level. And that's where you start really turning the corner as a program. You know, we're, we've got a couple of years in a row as a bowl program now. Let's get another in a row. Let's get that baseline under our feet and, and start really turning the corner as a program. And I think this is where you have to start. And it, it is unfortunate that we didn't take another step forward this year. I, I'm as bummed as anybody, but you can still make progress and build something with a disappointing year, because here's the thing you beat UCF you take your shot at Texas, if you finish, let's, let's say best case scenario you finish seven and five with a chance to get to eight wins. I mean, guys, I, I'm not exaggerating we were all we all lived through this shit the last 15 years how many times would you have traded your left arm to get to eight wins? Right. Like, let, let's be serious. This, that we have not won eight games that often the last several years, we haven't gotten close to it more often than not. So like, what are, we can't complain if the best case scenario happens too much? Yes. It's a bit of a bummer, but like you can, it's not the end of the world at this point to play for something and playing for the bowl matters. It matters. It matters to these seniors. It matters to this program and it matters to the building blocks of the future of this program. The recruits want to see you go to a bowl game. These guys that are, that are enrolling in December, they can practice in these and they can in these, those bowl practices. They will be allowed to let's get there. Let's let them experience Texas tech football, start their development clocks early you know, we may fuck me. We may need Will Hammond with our quarterback history, guys. We may need his ass next year. We have had no luck in that department. Shuck could come back. We still may end up going through him and Morton with how things have been going on in the, on the planes with all of our shit. Micah Hudson's going to step on campus day one and be ready to start. So let's, let's, let's do this for those guys. Let's do this for the seniors. And I think they're going to get it done. Now, I'm going to give you the last question of the day. I said last topic, but I'm going to give you the last question of the day, which is 4 p.m. kickoff time. You a fan of the middle evening, or you would you rather it be early slash later?
1: As long as it's not 11 a.m. I mean, that's all I was looking for. It doesn't really matter to me as so as so much play, what time the game kicks off. As long as it's not 11 a.m. Personally, just as a man speaking with a family, it's hard on a Saturday morning to get your kids who were coming from school and all of this and that up that early and get it all together for the, for the game. So me personally speaking, as long as it wasn't an 11 a.m. kick, I was fine with it. 4 p.m. is very, very odd. I don't, I can't recall a time since I've been going to Tech Games, and that's going on 25-plus years now where it's ever kicked off at that time. So it's a little bit odd. We're going to get a little bit of the, the night light by the end of the game, maybe another cool light show and drone show again to end it off. But, man, it doesn't really bother me as much. It is a weird time for a kickoff, but football's football for me. Just as long as it's not 11 a.m.
0: See, I actually like the 11 a.m. kickoffs, but I don't have the family aspect of this. I like them because I get anxious. The longer a day drags on, the worse it gets. So, like, I'm ready to rock and roll as soon as I wake up on a Saturday. So, you know, that's one of those things I kind of wish like we had like the the uh, the Big Ten of it all, where I could wake up at like nine, ten o'clock. You got your 11 a.m. kick starting um because i'm central time versus the east coast time so i i think that you know 4 p.m is weird for me because i don't really that kind of blows up dinner for me you know like i eat dinner fairly early but like the six thirty, seven o'clock kicks i can eat dinner watch the game be good to go so i i don't like 4 p.m just because it, it's like the worst case scenario for me i have to wait a bajillion hours seemingly for the game to start and it kind of blows up the middle of my dinner plans um and who knows, maybe if this is a super, you know, five overtime game and maybe the middle of the night in Lubbock uh, but by the end, I would have loved the seniors get one more true night game. I, I, I guess it'll get dark around the fourth quarter. Maybe it depends on the length of the game. If we're running the ball of Taj as much as we were against Kansas, we may not get to the uh, the true twilight hours, but we'll see um, as Always, folks, like, subscribe, follow, whatever it is on whatever major podcasting platform you can find us on the Fans First Sports Network, college football feed. You can find us on CottonClubCrew.com. Any major podcasting platform, just take a look. And and and, and while you're at it, look at some of the other great college podcasts that are going on, our professional podcasts. The NFL is re- reaching kind of the, the climax of the playoff hunt here in the next couple of weeks. There's some great NFL podcasts. Um, the NBA is starting up. There's great NBA podcasts. Be sure to check those out. We'll be back with more basketball content, more football content. We're going to try to track some more soccer content. I wish I knew more about soccer, and I felt like I could give you guys a little bit more value there. But we're going to be at least keeping you up to date with the comings and goings of the the Red Raiders as they head into the second round, another home game. You can be there Friday, be there, be loud. Um, and, you know, we got the Red and Black Series. So there's a lot of sports going on in Lubbock right now. Men's and women's basketball are back in swing. We're going to do our best to cover it all. Reckham, guys, enjoy the rest of your week.